This is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Well, today we begin a new teaching series called God Words. And this series is intended to highlight some of the most important words in the Bible and the most important words in theology. The master theme of the Bible, undoubtedly, the most important theme in all of the Bible is salvation. Salvation is at the very center of Holy Scripture, and it's at the very core of God's heart. So that is where we shall begin, with salvation. We're going to ask a number or series of questions about this topic this morning, and we begin with this one. Why do people need salvation? Salvation is a word that expresses the idea of rescue. So salvation is really a rescue operation, rescuing men and women and boys and girls from a life of jeopardy and misery and desolation and placing them into the realm of security and safety and love and forgiveness and hope. We need salvation because of the awful condition of the human heart. Quite simply put, we need salvation because of the awful condition of the human heart. When God created men and women, He created them in His image to have fellowship with Him. To live in an open relationship with God. God made each one of us with a purpose. And life just doesn't work when we ignore God's original design for our lives. We selfishly insist on doing things our own way. Have you noticed that? (laughs) We want to do things our way in our own time when we feel like doing it. And the Bible calls that sin. Selfishness. We all sin and distort the original plan of God for our lives. And that's declared openly in in Scripture. Romans 3.23. Say it with me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us comes from the same address, S-I-N, according to the Bible. And sin leads to a place of brokenness. Every time it leads to brokenness. And we see this all around us. There's evidence of brokenness all around us. We see it in our families. We see it in our, our places of employment. We see it in our schools. We see it in our government. It's everywhere. An author by the name of John Ortberg shares a a pretty funny story about the the, the truth about human nature. And he says, many years ago, early on in our marriage, my, my wife and I sold our Volkswagen Beetle to buy a really nice piece of furniture. In my case, I sold my old 1967 international truck so that I could buy my wife an engagement ring. But, But he goes on to say, It was a sofa. They bought a sofa. It was a pink sofa, but for that kind of money, it was called a mauve sofa. (laughs) Mauve. Guys don't know what that color is. Mauve. The man at the sofa store told us all about how to take care of it, and we took it home. We had very small children in those days, and does anyone want to guess what was the number one rule in our house from that day on? Don't sit on the mauve sofa. Don't play near the mauve sofa. Don't eat 
around the mauve sofa. Don't touch the mauve sofa. Don't breathe on the mauve sofa. In fact, don't even think about the mauve sofa. On every other chair in the house, you may freely sit. But on this sofa, the mauve sofa, you may not sit. For on the day you sit thereon, you shall surely die. (laughs) And then one day came the fall. There appeared on the mauve sofa a stain. A red stain. A red jelly stain. My wife called the man at the sofa factory, and he told her how bad it was. So she assembled our three children to look at the stain on the sofa. Laura, who was then about four, Mallory, who was two and a half, and Johnny, who was maybe six months. Six months. She said, children, do you see that? That's a stain. That's a red stain. That's a red jelly stain. And the man at the sofa store said, that is not good. He said that we we will not come out for all of eternity. Children, do you know how long eternity is? That's how long you're going to sit here until one of you tells me who put the stain on the mauve sofa. Well, for a long time, they all just sat there until finally Mallory cracked. I knew she would. She said, Laura did it. (laughs) Laura said, no, I didn't. And then there was another very long silence. I knew that none of them would confess to putting the stain on the sofa because they had never seen their mother so mad in all their lives. I knew none of them was going to confess putting the stain on the sofa because they knew if they did, they would spend all of eternity on the timeout chair. I knew that none of them would confess putting the stain on the sofa because, in fact, I was the one who put the stain on the sofa, and I wasn't saying nothing ever. (laughs) Folks, the, the truth of the matter is that we have all stained the sofa, right? For we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as as humorous and as helpful of an image as a stained sofa might be, it really doesn't do justice to the seriousness of the human condition apart from God. And so let me say it like this in all seriousness. God made man, male and female, in his own image, as the crown of creation, that man might have fellowship with God. Tempted by Satan, man rebelled against God. Being estranged from his maker, yet responsible to him, he became subject to divine wrath. Inwardly depraved and apart from a special work of grace, utterly incapable of returning to God. This depravity is radical and pervasive. It extends to his mind, will, and affections. Unregenerate man and woman lives under the dominion of sin and Satan. He's at enmity with God, hostile toward God, and hateful of God. Fallen, sinful people, whatever their character or attainments, are lost and without hope apart from salvation in Christ. That sounds just awful, doesn't it? It is awful, but that is the horrible and terrible condition of human beings who are living apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And we just need to understand that. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Our lives are completely and totally broken, messed up royally 
There is no part of us, physical, emotional, spiritual, psychological, that is not tainted by sin. And that's why we need to be rescued. That's why we need salvation. Because we are dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. Another question. Where does salvation come from? When we finally realize that life just isn't working, most of us exert a lot of energy to try and find a way to make sense of life. We just try to find another way. And we look in in so many different directions, trying to find something, trying to find anything that helps us to make sense of life. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And so, we try all these ways that seem right. We try to do good things. That, that seems right. And we, we give money away to a good cause. That seems right. We, we start drinking to dull the pain, or we stop drinking to get back on track. We, we, we help the needy, and we feed the poor, and we, we sponsor a child or house a refugee. And really, all of those things are good things, but, but none, of them, none of them deal with the sin problem. None of them deals with that core problem of sin in, in, our, in our lives. We're still broken after we've given our money away. We're still broken after we feed the poor. We're still broken after we've helped in the community. We're still broken. Broken lives, broken relationships, broken systems. We can't escape. So obviously sin doesn't, uh, I mean salvation does not come from within us. It's not something that we can produce on our own. It's not something that we can conjure up. I mean, you can go sit in a high mountain in the Himalayas for a thousand years and cross your legs and, and chant, and you still will not be able to bring salvation to bear upon your own life. Because it doesn't come from us. When you turn to the Bible, you, you learn that every salvation, every rescue operation that ever happened in the history of human beings has been accomplished by God Himself. Acts 4.12 There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the name of Jesus. Jesus is the only name that saves us. He's the only one that has the power and the ability to save us, to forgive us, to give us hope, to give us life. Let's read Psalm 121. Do we have that? Yes, there it is. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. Let's read this in unison. Ready? I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So he's affirming that our help, our salvation, our rescue comes from the Lord. And of course, what about Ephesians 2? That was quoted this morning also. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. There it is again. It's the gift of God. It comes from God doesn't come from within. Somebody else can't give me salvation. It comes from God. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So clearly, salvation comes from God the Father as a gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. What are believers saved from? 
What, are we, what do we need to be saved from? Well, forgive me, but there's three theologically packed statements here, and I'm just going to give them to you. First of all, believers in Jesus are saved from their former position under the wrath of God, the dominion of sin, and the power of death. And to that we say, praise God. But that's not all. If that was all there is, that would be enough, right? We'd go, woohoo, been set free. But that's not all there is. Secondly, they're saved from their natural condition of being mastered by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Oh, double jig. Praise the Lord. God is good. But that's not all. They're also saved from the fears that a sinful life produces. And from the many vicious habits that were part of that old life. We're saved from that. We don't have to be bound by that. We're not, we're not domineered. We're not, we're not under the control of those things any longer. We've been set free. Amen? According to a new study by the Automobile, uh, American Automobile Association Foundation for Traffic Safety, nearly 80% of drivers in the United States expressed significant anger, aggression, or road rage in the last year. 80%. And I I guarantee you that the statistics are no better in Canada, especially Windsor, especially Windsor. The stats are no better. The most alarming research in Canada indicates that approximately 800,000 drivers in Canada have engaged in some form of extreme road rage. And many others have reported that they yell at drivers regularly They honk at other drivers. They make angry gestures using their middle finger. And they block other cars from changing lanes. 800,000 plus. So according to the Bible, bad behavior like that, road rage like that, is actually the result of sin. Not just bad driving. It's a result of sin. And Jesus is the only one who can deal with sin. Do you believe that? He's the only one. So rather than focusing on road rage and you know, spending millions and millions of dollars on behavior modification for stupid drivers, instead we should spotlight the transformation that the gospel of God brings into the human life when we believe in Jesus. If we focused on that, if, if the government gave us $20 million to talk about Jesus as the answer to road rage, I think we'd see some improvement. God can change us from the inside out. He can. And if he can save my wretched soul from the life I used to have lived, surely he can do something about my driving. My wife is thinking, I'm not so sure about that. But yeah, his grace can transform our lives. The gospel changes everything. Another question we should consider. What are believers saved for? Hmm. What's this all about? What are we here for? Believers are saved from sin and spiritual death, but what are they saved for? What are we supposed to be doing? What are we supposed to be about now that we believe in Jesus? Well, here at the gathering, we've created what we call a discipleship 
pathway, and we've used four key words to, to, to kind of sort that out and help people at the gathering and new believers who come to faith and get baptized. That kind of helps us lay down some tracks as to what we're saved for. We're saved to love, grow, serve, and multiply. We're saved to love God with everything we are and everything we have and, and, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Furthermore, we're saved so that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, growing in faith and hope and love, growing in holiness and grace and all that good stuff, growing up into salvation, Ephesians 4.15. And the next word is serve. We're saved to serve God and use the gifts that He's given to us to serve in our local church, to serve in the communities in which we live, and to eventually to serve in the world wherever He might take us. 1 Peter 4.10. And then finally, around here, we, we believe that God saves us through faith in Jesus Christ so that we can participate in this exciting divine strategy of multiplication, of, of, of multiplying disciples and multiplying small groups and multiplying churches, just like Cornerstone in Detroit with Pastor Tyler and like a Fellowship Oshawa with Pastor Jared in Oshawa, Ontario. Love, grow, serve, multiply. Does that sound familiar? It better. We spent four weeks teaching on that, and here it is again today. That's what we're saved for. That's just a glimpse, a picture, an illustration of, of why God brings the gift of salvation into our lives. How are people saved? We have to answer that question also. How are we rescued from all that we need to be rescued from? How are we rescued from the wrath of God and, and dominion of sin? And how are we saved from the power of the world and the flesh and the devil? How are we saved from all the fear that accompanies that old lifestyle? How are we saved from all of that? Well, the answer is simple. Like the Sunday school children, Jesus is the answer to every question. Jesus Believers are saved through Jesus Christ, and in Jesus Christ, Jesus came to, to live among us, and He lived perfectly. He lived a perfect life. He lived the life that we could never live. And he, he lived according to God's law and God's design. And then He died the death that we could never die. It was a, it was a death that, that, that paid for all the penalty of our sin. It, it's, it's the death that He died that paved the way for us to have new life and eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, just look at the gospel. This is the gospel. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Anybody who places their faith in Jesus can be born again. That's what the Bible says. Do you believe it? Yes. But simply hearing the good news is, is, is not enough. And we need to come to that place where we're ready and willing to repent of our sins and embrace Jesus by faith. Not faith and something, but faith in Jesus Christ alone. We need to ask God to forgive us. We need to come on bended knee, humbled in, in His presence, and just say, Oh, God, I, I have blown it. I, I live in brokenness. My life is broken. My relationships are broken. 
Everything I put my hand to is broken. I need you. When we repent of our sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Scripture says we're born again by the Spirit of God. He gives us the right to become children of God. We're made whole again. And Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And that's what, that's what these people were doing post-salvation. They were giving that testimony. Jesus is Lord. But even the person who's long before that time of baptism, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So when you believe and trust in Jesus, you're born again. When you're born again, that's when you get to, de- to discover the, the meaning and purpose of, of God's design for your life. You get to pursue that. You get to chase after that. Again, God's Spirit empowers us to renew and pursue God's original design for our lives. So now that you've heard the good news, now that you know what's available, God is expecting you to respond. And certainly one response is just to get up and turn away and go away and not think about it, you know, forget about it. A better way to respond to this, of course, would be to embrace it as truth because it comes from the Bible. And around here we believe the Bible is true. So if you embrace it, you know, God's design is perfect. God's design for your life in the beginning was perfect. But sin messed that all up. Sin always results in brokenness. We can repent of our sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do, we're born again by the Spirit of God. And then you can recover and pursue God's original design for your life. And man, oh man, what a pursuit that is. Challenging? Yeah. Rewarding? Absolutely. Pursue and recover. Pursue and recover God's design for your life. God wants you to respond to His gift of love. Maybe even this morning, some of you will say, yes. I heard the stories. I heard the testimonies. I heard Isaac Reed at nine years of age declare that as long as he lives, he's going to follow Jesus. Why don't you join him in that? You can talk to God this morning by using words like this. Lord Jesus, my life is broken. And I recognize that brokenness comes from my sin. It's nobody else's fault because of my sin, and I need you. I believe that Christ came to live and die, pay the penalty for my sin on the cross, and to rescue me from my sin. You can say to the Lord this morning, forgive me. Please forgive me because right now I'm turning from my sin. I'm repenting from my sin. I don't want anything to do with it any longer. And I'm going to just trust you. I know that Jesus is Lord of all. I've heard it. I've seen it in people's lives. Now I believe it and I want it for myself. That's the kind of response that leads to life. Eternal life. That's the kind of thing that Renee and Jana and Isaac and Robin were all declaring this morning before and when they were baptized. This is the gospel. 
And the gospel changes everything. So let's pray together. Gracious Father, today is it's just a great day to remember that salvation is of the Lord. You're the one who began the good work of salvation in our lives. You're the one who carries it on. You're the one who will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, on this day, we, we want to affirm that only you are worthy of our worship and love and trust and praise. Some trust in their goodness and their discipline and their niceness, but we need to trust in the finished work of Jesus and the gift of his perfect righteousness. Some will trust in their spouse's attention and affection or in their children's success. But we, we need to trust in the steadfast love and, and great delight that you have for us in Jesus. Some trust in their RRSPs and their bank accounts and all the toys they've stored in the garage in the basement. But we must learn to trust in the immeasurable riches of Jesus and the unspoiled treasure kept for us in heaven. So this day, Father, this day, would you help us to trust in the grace of God alone for salvation? Through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, would you help us with that? We believe that Jesus is enough. He's enough for today and tomorrow. He is enough for us forever. And we pray these things in the highest name, the greatest name, the strongest name, the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen.